You're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Wednesday, September 6th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Polyfloral alkyl substances, commonly known as PFAS, are widely used, long-lasting chemicals that may be linked to harmful effects in humans and animals. The California report heads to the Central Coast to explain how the clean airport agenda will compel federal agencies to phase out the use of these chemicals. After regional news and weather, KVMR's Al Stoller will talk with Professor Jay Evans about a vaccine that could help curb the opioid crisis. We close with a walk in the park. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. And here are some California stories we're following. The Rockland Unified School Board in Placer County is the latest to consider a policy requiring parents to be notified if their child wants to identify as transgender. The board is expected to vote on the policy tonight. If passed, notifications need to be made by the classroom teacher, counselor, or site administrator within three days from the moment a student requests to use a different gender other than what's on their birth certificate. Samantha Marsh tells KCRA she's against the policy. I think it's not any of the school's business what the kids want to do, and if they If the kids actually have a trusted teacher that they want to share this information with or or whatever they want to do um, sharing that information, I don't think that they should be um, forced to tell that to their parents. The Orange Unified School District in Southern California will vote on a similar policy tomorrow. In the Central Valley, state fish and wildlife officials say that a sunken tugboat is leaking diesel fuel and oil into the San Joaquin Delta. Sejol Choksky Chu is the executive director of the nonprofit SF Baykeeper. She says old boats are often abandoned by their owners in the Delta. Many times people buy a boat, they buy it for cheap, and they think they're going to fix it up. And then they find out that it's really expensive to maintain and fix boats. So what we really need is a program in California to help clean the waters of these vessels. The Department of Fish and Wildlife is working with the U.S. Coast Guard to contain and clean up the spill. So far, state scientists have not yet seen a significant impact on the nearby sensitive habitats, according to a spokesperson with the Department of Fish and Wildlife. They are monitoring the situation. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now, with more than 850 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and adult and children's health systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. Stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. Central Coast Congressman Salud Carbajal is unveiling new legislation today to help communities near regional airports that have long been facing toxic chemical contamination in their groundwater. The clean airport agenda will make sure federal agencies phase out the use of these toxic chemicals in such communities. 
The contamination has been seeping groundwater under and around the San Luis Obispo County Regional Airport for about five decades. KCBX's Benjamin Perper reports. The Slow County Regional Airport has six gates and only a handful of destinations. Like hundreds of airports around the country, both small and big, the Federal Aviation Administration requires the use of a special foam to put out any fires. Here in Slow, firefighters began spraying foam for practice drills in the 70s. But it's full of harmful chemicals called PFAS. They're often called forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment. Kathy Borland lives across the street from the airport. And we've been here since 83. So we don't have any idea how long we've been exposed to this. We just have no idea. Beginning in 2019, the State Water Board ordered 30 airports in California to investigate PFAS contamination. According to the board, all of them showed some level of impact. As for the slow airport, a vast majority of the more than 70 wells in the area were contaminated. Many of them were private wells, including the one at Borland's house. Borland raised seven children at her home on Buckley Road. It's a rustic property near a creek with a large vegetable garden. The houses in this area aren't connected to a public water system. Everyone's on wells and septic tanks. You see that right there, that circle? Mm -hmm. That's the wellhead. Borland says she found out last year that her well water is contaminated with high levels of PFAS. These chemicals are found in things like cookware, water-resistant clothing, and food packaging. They resist grease, oil, water, and heat, which is why they're also found in firefighting foam. Borland has filters to keep PFAS and other chemicals out of the water in her house. Even still, she drinks bottled water. But she and her neighbors still irrigate their gardens with the contaminated well water. We all have vegetable gardens out here. We all have fruit trees. Is there PFAS in our fruit? Is it coming up through the vegetables? And nobody can give us an answer. According to the CDC, the chemicals can cause serious health problems like cancer, liver damage, high blood pressure, birth defects, and more. Borland has a history of liver damage and says it's urgent to fix her neighborhood's water problems. We can't wait for them to figure this out. Slow County and Cal Fire recently reached an agreement with the local water board to address the contamination. The agencies will provide water filters to residents who live near the airport. But an official plan to clean up the contamination could be as long as three years out. It's a big undertaking, says Don Ortiz Leg, a Slow County supervisor. We're waiting for the rest of the data to come out on PFAS. And so without knowing more, it's hard to know what to do next, other than to making sure that they have clean water. Ortiz Leg says she sympathizes with residents who feel the process isn't moving quickly enough. But she calls the agreement a significant and meaningful milestone. And here we're the first to actually find a resolution, at least a working resolution towards creating safe drinking water for our constituents. Ortiz Legg says one of the main challenges is the lack of data around PFAS contamination. Just this year, the EPA proposed new federal standards. Meanwhile, the FAA is trying to find an alternative to the firefighting foam. Cal Fire Slow says they don't use it for training anymore, but they're still required to use it in actual emergencies. It's a worldwide problem. We're experiencing it right here in San Luis County. That's Mike Oliveira, who used to live by the airport. He feels the neighborhood should have been notified much sooner than they were. With relatives still in the area, he says the July agreement to provide filters and come up with a cleanup plan is a step in the right direction. But it's still not enough. This is much too slow. 
As the slow airport begins to address the problem, the state water board says other airports with PFAS contamination could follow suit. For The California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Luis Obispo. And that's The California Report for Wednesday, September 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Nevada County Health Department has recently witnessed an uptick in cases of COVID-19, as reported by healthcare providers. This mirrors what's been reported in wastewater surveillance and hospital reports all across California, primarily driven by new subvariants like EG5, otherwise known as Iris. As of last week, Nevada County Public Health has been notified of several outbreaks reported by local congregate care settings. In the past month, local health care providers reported seeing zero to two cases per week. Now they're reporting that they're seeing as many as two to three cases per day. Dr. Sherilyn Cook, Nevada County Health Officer, said that because PCR tests are not as readily available and because home testing has become more prevalent, it's difficult to accurately know the number of new cases happening here in Nevada County on any given day. She said that public health staff are meeting with schools and working with healthcare providers throughout the area to accurately determine any surge in cases. Dr. Cook says that anyone experiencing cold or flu-like symptoms should stay home, test for COVID-19, and contact their healthcare providers if positive. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight will be clear with a low around 56. Thursday, sunny with a high near 80. On Thursday night, the skies will be mostly clear with a low around 57 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, clear skies tonight with a low of 41. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 72 before cooling to a low of 41 again on Thursday night. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight clear with a low around 58. Thursday will be sunny and warm with a high near 88 degrees. Thursday night in Sacramento is expected to be mostly clear with a low around 60. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up next, Al Stoller continues his exploration of the opioid crisis. He recently spoke with Professor Jay Evans, who's attempting to develop a vaccine against opioid drugs. The blueprints for building and maintaining our bodies. The blueprints are held in our DNA. We spend a lot of time and effort to prevent mistakes, aka mutations, to prevent mutations from showing up in those blueprints. But there is one part of the body where mutations are actually encouraged. We produce hundreds of billions of mutations in our immune system in the hopes of producing a molecule carried by a bug, a bacterium, or a virus, a bug that wants to infect us. By producing these molecules ahead of time in the immune system, we can protect ourselves from those bugs. By luck of the draw, our immune system also produces mutations that look a lot like drugs, like heroin, 
and fentanyl, drugs now responsible for more and more deaths by overdose. Dr. Jay Evans of the University of Montana is looking to team up with the immune system to produce vaccines to prevent overdose by heroin or fentanyl. Your body creates millions of antibodies that recognize everything you could think of, from a drug to a protein to other molecules that might come out of a bacteria or a virus. There's a very small percentage of antibodies that will recognize fentanyl circulating in your system. So we're taking advantage of naturally occurring B cells that already recognize fentanyl. We're expanding those B cells as we add booster vaccines so those antibodies become more prevalent and they bind fentanyl better. Perhaps even more important than uh, avoiding overdose, you could actually help people quit. Hopefully it will do both. The relapse rate in the first two years after people are started rehab is about 80 to 90 percent. The addiction to opioids is so strong. The big question we get from a lot of people, especially physicians, you know, fentanyl is commonly used for pain relief. A lot of anesthesiologists use it in the operating room. Fortunately, there are other opioid-based medicines, drugs that are available, also available for pain relief, because when a patient takes the fentanyl vaccine, at least for a period of time, you know, maybe a few years, maybe 10 years, we don't know yet until we get into clinical trials, fentanyl will no longer be available to that person as a pain relief medicine, which is a, a, a big, not necessarily a concern, um, but we have to do a, a lot of extra work to demonstrate that the antibodies generated against fentanyl are specific only to fentanyl. They don't interfere with Narcan or any of the other medicine-associated treatments for, for people trying to quit and going through withdrawal, and they don't cross-react with other opioids, so patients will still have access to those um, if they need pain relief from surgery or an accident or chronic pain in the future. The primary patient population who would benefit from this vaccine are those people who have an addiction or a use problem with opioids, then they want to quit. When those patients go to reuse opioids, they'll get no effect because the drug won't get to the brain. And hopefully they will also not overdose and die, which is common when people reuse. So that's the most likely population that will receive the most benefit from this type of a vaccine. The other population might be people at high risk of accidental exposure to fentanyl, for example. You hear about this in the news. It's very rare. It does happen. And oftentimes it's fatal if they don't have Narcan or something nearby. And these are going to be people who, because of their line of work, for example, if you're a DEA agent and you're making drug busts or you're a drug enforcement team in a police agency and you're exposed to fentanyl on a, on a fairly regular basis, your chance of exposure is much higher than any other type of first responder or someone else in the public. And it might warrant vaccination if your exposure risk is high enough. The second would be maybe someone who works in a drug rehabilitation center where, you know, unfortunately drugs get into those places all too often. Or let's say you're a family member or someone who is, is having trouble with addiction uh, and you're afraid you might be accidentally exposed. If the risks are high enough, it might warrant vaccination in those situations. Is there a biochemical reason why you're doing heroin first? I actually thought that fentanyl was going to be the first one, but because of uh, you know working through the scale-up and process and manufacturing, the heroin one will be done first. I think the, the chances of success with this vaccine are really high, and I think it's something that's urgently needed for those people trying to quit their uh, opioid addiction. Jay, I wish you a lot of luck with your trials. Thank you very much for speaking with us. 
I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm speaking with Dr. Jay Evans, director of the Center for Translational Medicine at the University of Montana. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. Although summer is almost over, there's still plenty to do at any of Nevada County's three state parks. Coming up, Sid Brown shares the latest and greatest in this month's Walk in the Park. Welcome to a Walk in the Park. Today, I'm going to start off with some things that are happening at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. We've got some staffing there this fall and late summer, which gives me great pleasure the Visitor Center at Malakoff Diggins is now open every single day, not just weekends, and we have some very special programming to tell you about. In September, on Saturdays, there's a number of things that are happening at 10 o'clock in September, the last three Saturdays of the month. That's September 16th, 23rd, and 30th. We're going to be offering a free nature journaling class from 10 to 11 for ages 7 and up. And we have a park interpreter who's going to be talking about nature journaling. Bring your pencils and journals. So from 10 to 11, we'll have nature journaling classes. Getting to know our neighbors where you can practice scientific observation, sketching, mindfulness, and learning about our plant and animal neighbors while we build community. It's going to be a wonderful new program for us, and we really hope people will come out. There is a free online registration process that I would suggest you check out. And You can go to the California State Parks website, search for Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. There will be a link that will take you to the Nature Journaling Registration. Also at Malakoff, from 1.30 to 2.30, we have everyday historic town tours, especially on Saturday. And if there are people, visitors on other weekdays, we'll do our best to offer these very informative tours. Again, it's a walking tour that starts visitor center led by park staff or sometimes volunteers. Very informative, a really cool way to find more about uh, historic town of North Bloomfield as well as the early days of Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park in the North Bloomfield mining era. And then also on Saturdays through the month, from three to four, we have Junior Rangers. So that's a special program for ages 7 to 12, and we'll have some fun activities to learn about nature and history, all of these at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. At the South Huber River State Park, we have a very special event coming up, and that is the South Huber River Citizens River Cleanup, which is scheduled for Saturday, September 23rd. The actual cleanup activity will be from 9 until noon, and it will be followed with a, uh, a party at Pioneer Park. And State Parks is going to be holding new volunteer training in the month of October. We are always looking for new volunteers, and so if you missed the last training in May and June, please consider signing up and joining us. The dates will be October 14, 
21 and 28. The 14th is for brand new volunteers who have not signed up to be a state park volunteer in the past. And then the other subsequent two Saturdays are for specific training and enhancement of the training that has been held in the past. So if you're interested in being a state park volunteer, the 14th is a mandatory training. And basically it has to do with paperwork and filling out all the necessary forms and then actual training will happen the subsequent two Saturdays. So join us. We can always use new volunteers. At Empire Mine, our blacksmiths are usually working every single day, and we do offer garden and uh, grounds tours on Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday. The trails are open, and we do request and remind our people who bring their dogs, um, they are welcome at Empire Mine, as long as you keep your dog on a six-foot leash. Clean up after your pet, please. And um, the dogs are not allowed inside the buildings, but they're allowed everywhere else at Empire. And this is a kind of a good reminder about multi-use, especially at Empire Mine. Those trails are used by walkers like myself, young families with strollers, people walking multiple dogs on leashes, bicycles and horses. So Walkers yield to bikes, bikes yield to horses, everybody yields to horses. So when you are sharing the trail, be mindful of who else is there, step aside, make room, especially dogs and horses can make for a very challenging situation and even the best trained trail horse can spook and you don't want to put anybody at risk and have any injury or scary situation. So that's it for now. Oh, a few uh, reminders about uh, some of the hazards of uh, recreating outside, especially this time of year. We do have meat bees. We have rattlesnakes. The poison oak is starting to turn color. You'll see the green leaves start to turn red. There are ticks. There are bears. You don't want to disturb them in their habitat. Don't leave any food out. And again, uh, be mindful of safety and, and proper footwear. And one final uh, reminder is, especially at Empire Mine, all year of 2023, we are embarking on an interpretive master plan where we're seeking input from the community, people who recreate at Empire Mine. Uh, You may have seen some of the posters around town. You have great ideas. This is your opportunity to share them with park staff. There is a visitor survey that is available online from the Empire Mine State Historic Park website. So I encourage you to check that out. Let your opinions be heard. And um, let's keep enjoying our beautiful nature and Western Nevada County's three state parks. That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR gets support from Sierra View Medical Eye Incorporated, serving eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye. On Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley. Online at svme2020.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, 
empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. As always, thanks for supporting local media. I'm Claudio Mendonça. The Sages Among Us is next. Thank you.